This is Norse Code, the number one podcast for your Minnesota Vikings, with your hosts, Dusty O'Connell and Arif Hassan. Welcome to Norse Code. My name is James Pogoshnik, and I am your host, along with Arif Hassan of the Daily Norseman. Hey, James. We, are, we cut the podcast into two. I feel like it is time to break into our number of the week. And our number of the week this week is a rather large number, a rather historic number for the Vikings. Is it still a and number? Hold on. It, gotta... is, it is still a number. Okay. This is, I don't even have a decimal involved in it. That's how real this number is. The oh, number uh, of the week. So, so it's, the, it's a real integer. Yes, it's a real, real integer. Okay. And uh, the number this week is 897. 897. Okay. Uh, it's a big number. It's historic for the Vikings. What does it mean? 897 career solo tackles for Antoine Winfield, who retired this week. Holy crap. That is insane. That's a ridiculous number of tackles for a man who was mostly unheralded outside of the NFC North. So what's crazy about that is, so he had a a 14-year career, right? They're starting linebackers who've had 14-year careers, who started all 14 years, that don't have 897 tackles. That's crazy. Uh, You know, I was thinking about this, uh, you know, when he retired. And and I was thinking about this in terms of sort of when Rondé Barber retired, because a lot of people like to compare the two, and I think you know that comparison makes a lot of sense to both tackling cornerbacks um, that are that are really known for tackling, and I don't think there are many other players that are in the same mold. Um, and a lot of people were talking about, you know, does Rondé Barber deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? You know, a lot of people were like, well, tackling is not really a cornerback's job. Uh, you know, to which I say, fooey. Right, like, who cares w- what your arbitrary definitions of a position are, if they're an impact player that does good things, right? Like, I, I can understand discounting most cornerbacks for their tackle totals, because most cornerbacks will generate their tackle totals by being bad at being a cornerback, right? They allow a catch and then they tackle, right? That's not something you give people credit for. But players like Rondé Barber and Antoine Winfield are a different breed entirely. One of the things that the NFL is moving towards, and maybe this will help their case because five years from now, people will understand sort of how important the nickel cornerback is, and they're already starting to, um, is as you move towards you know, decreasing the size of the players on the field and increasing the speed of those players to deal with you know, spread concepts and an accelerated passing game, uh, and, and combining concepts of different offenses like the West Coast and the Earhart Perkins and the Air Coriel and, and making sure that you've got sort of those things. Uh, you know, you've got its own counter movement being created in the NFL right now in read option type attacks or the pistol offense and two tight end sets. All of, all of those are designed to take advantage of the resurgence of the nickel game. So to have a nickel cornerback who can play the run as effectively or, and I'm going to argue that this is definitively the case, more effectively than a lot of linebackers, a lot of weak side linebackers in the league, uh, the, the value of that is nearly immeasurable. Uh, and so if you've got a player that you can just remove the cornerback label from and apply a different label, like, you know, 
like Lobo or Star or whatever, right? Instead of cornerback or linebacker, uh, you know. Yeah, I don't want to combine the two because cornerbacker sounds stupid. But, you know, if if you don't think of the position, just think about their function instead of the name of the position, I don't think there's any question that Antoine Winfield deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's not just a great tackling cornerback. He's one of the best run-defending cornerbacks of all time. And I understand why you wouldn't want to put one of the best run-defending cornerbacks of all time in the Hall of Fame if they're not good at coverage. But Antoine Winfield's really good in coverage. Uh, over the past 40 games, over the last three seasons, uh, he hadn't allowed a single touchdown in coverage. Um, how many players can you say that? That's not even true of Darrell Revis. You know, a lot that's of, insane. Yeah. That's what that is. That's insane. Yeah. It, there's and part of that is is defined by function. He he played some slots, you know, sort of uh, that that didn't get to the end zone as much. And sometimes he was he was helped by a drop. I think at one point uh, this last season, um, and you know he plays shorter zones than a lot of cornerbacks tend to do. So there's a lot of small mitigating factors, but you can't get over the fact that he didn't allow a freaking touchdown for three seasons. <laughs> um, so he's not he's not a slouch at at coverage and his final year with the Vikings and I guess his final year in the league, uh, you know, not only was he eons from the next best run defending cornerback, he was, I'm not going to say the word elite, but a top tier maybe, or sort of in the top tier in coverage um, because he had pass deflections. He was, he didn't allow a lot of yards uh, per, per snapping coverage. And certainly I would say he was probably the best slot cornerback in the league. Um, like I can't think of one off the top of my head uh, who was better, and it's really interesting to think of it like that because the Vikings also had the best slot receiver in the league that year too. Um, so to think that they had sort of the best nickel game is, is kind of weird. Um, but when, when you've got when you've got a player that is whose whose coverage abilities are enough to put him in the hall of very good, and whose every other ability. Uh, is all worldly. I think it's pretty obvious that he should, you know, go into the Hall of Fame. I, I don't think there's a question about this. Do you have a favorite? Uh, do you have a favorite moment of Antoine Winfield's career? Uh, the game against Philadelphia. I hadn't even thought about this question until you said that. And I, I to me, that makes perfect sense. When, uh, when Joe Webb had to play against Philadelphia on the only Tuesday night game with the Vikings's, you know, history. Uh, yeah, it was, it was Joe Webb versus Michael Vick, but it wasn't. It was Antoine Winfield versus the Eagles. It was amazing. Uh, I think he, I think he had a, a trinity there. I think he had a, a strip sack fumble uh, that he returned for a touchdown too in that game. It was a great game. He was great in in all phases of the game. Uh, so, so if you're gonna grab that game, I'm gonna grab a game that I went to in person against uh, the Cincinnati Bengals during the first year of Favre. It was, they were coming off of the horrific, horrific game in Arizona and uh, very, very depressed from that. But Winfield came back from injury. He'd been out for like five or six games. And he came out and outworked Andy Dalton and the receivers for Cincinnati. And my favorite moment was he had a pass thrown directly at him. Like, hit him in the numbers, didn't catch the ball. And 
was just so upset with himself afterwards. He just yelled, "Oh man, oh man!" And then he looked up at the ti- at the at the little uh, at the big screen, as big as it is in the Metrodome, but at the big screen, and uh, saw the and saw how easy it it was, or how how he should have caught it. And immediately he dropped down to the ground and started doing push-ups. <laughs> like he did ten push-ups right then and there, like he wouldn't practice for a missed ball. And the place erupted. I think that was like a. I think that was either a first or a second down. And the rest of that half was like the, whenever we were on defense, he was just the, the just pumping everybody up, running around. The but the but the the push-ups is my favorite part because that was just and just how like everyone was laughing and just like enjoying that moment like oh thank god he's back oh and look at that even he knows he should have got that that's fantastic it's great i mean his his abilities as a leader are extraordinary um yeah i, I can talk about that i think i've already talked about it but i do want to mention this so that game was a really good game for him i think he had three tackles for loss in that game too yep sure did yeah. he was a machine and a touchdown he had a touchdown. No interceptions, yep. but he had a touchdown. Well, he should have had the interception, but well, he he, he's at least he's aware of yeah, that one. Yeah. That's fine. Uh, yeah, what I mean, what an amazing player. Uh, in training camp the year before, you know, he was a coach on the field, and they always talk about veteran mentors. Um, but veterans aren't mentors because you are telling a player how to grab your job from you. It, it doesn't happen. Uh, you don't expect veterans to be that sort of leader. It doesn't happen all that often in training camp, and, and Antoine Winfield was. He had an intuitive understanding of, of passing angles. He had a, a good understanding of footwork and, and sort of how to play receiver so that you couldn't get around them or to them and, and make the quarterback delay, which is all you need to do in the Tampa 2 defense. Make the quarterback wait to make a decision so that the front four can get to him. And, and just use your vision. Yeah. Use your vision. So he was, he was an extraordinary leader, uh, a great teacher, uh, I think sort of a lot of people remember, uh, you know, right before the Vikings go on their four-win run uh, at the end of at the end of last season, uh, you know, the, there was a moment where he, you know, gave a speech to the to the entire locker room, and you know, you, you always sort of you always sort of want to dismiss that sort of thing because it seems really cliche, but you know, at the same time, he doesn't he's not that kind of player. He doesn't give speeches, right? Uh, he's not he's not Ray Lewis, right? Uh, he, he doesn't like to talk to talk. Uh, so when he talks, you know, it matters. And so, you know, that sort of thing, it's always really nice to, to hear about all these sort of drips and drabs, especially, you know, after he left, the details you hear. Because that's always really important, right? After someone leaves, what do you hear about them? And if it's positive, then you know you've got, you know, a good character on your hands. So we have an actual regular season game on our hands. It's, a, it's about to happen. Can you feel it, Arif? Can you feel it? Why didn't we lead with that? We should have led the first. We should have led the first part of this podcast with, "Oh my God, football's back for real now." <laughs> the, the the things that are happening now really count. It's not like uh, it's not like uh, whose line is it anyway? Where the where the you know, penalties are made up and the points don't matter. It's like <laughs> this this is for real. This is for keeps, as it were. This is for keeps. The penalties might uh, still be made up. Let's, let's the penalties might still, the yeah. The, the penalties might still be crap. But, let's 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 admit that. Okay. Well, first, what better way to start off the season than a game against the Lions? And I don't mean because the Lions are easy. Although in part, I do mean because the Lions are a bad football team. Um, but like, what what better way to deal with your exact opposite as a football team? 
the Lions only passed the ball. Sure, they got Reggie Bush, and I can talk about him in a second. Um, but the they they have the one of the best players of all time at his position, right? Who plays wide receiver instead of running back. Uh, they pass the ball. They they drop back like seven hundred times. Uh, they run the ball like two hundred times. And the Vikings would love to run the ball seven hundred times. Um, <laughs> You know what? What better way to to start off the year than to play against your exact opposite? Uh, they talk about the importance of a hot start. I don't think that that's important, but it is really fun for a fan to start off really hot instead of get hot a little bit later, um, because you know you know building momentum and excitement is really fun, and maintaining it is really fun. Uh, getting beaten up and then picking yourself up is not nearly as fun, in my opinion. Um, so so to have a game against a team that you know, maybe doesn't command that much respect and, and maybe isn't as easy to beat as people say, but is also not a premier team, I think is a really fun and great way to start off the season, uh, especially when they're sort of your exact opposite. And most importantly, test the Vikings at areas, I think, of significant weakness. I don't think a lot of people care that much about the Vikings' run defense in terms of whether or not it's going to downgrade or upgrade. But with the loss of Antoine Winfield and drafting Xavier Rhodes and you know the development of Harrison Smith and is Chris Cook going to stay healthy or whatever, uh, you know, there's a lot of questions about the secondary and at the cornerback position, especially when they only have five cornerbacks on the roster. So the three that they'll they'll start functionally in in the nickel uh, package, really important. So this is going to be a really fun game to watch, both you know as a fan in general, right, to see two stylistically opposed teams, as an analyst to see sort of how these teams deal with each other's weaknesses and strengths. Uh, and in general, because uh, to me, the Lions are a massively underrated team. And that might not be fair because I do think their coach is terrible. Um, so, so maybe instead of saying massively underrated, because I don't necessarily think they'll perform uh, you know, better than their expectations, although I do think they'll do that too. Uh, but the difference between their talent level and their record last year, I think, is enormous. I think there's two teams that's true for it. I think that's the Detroit Lions and the Kansas City Chiefs, both of whom should be due uh, for you know, a return to closer to league average. I mean, there's a reason the Lions had 10 wins uh, the year before. It's because they have a lot of talent. Uh, you've, got, you've got people who are going to test the, the Vikings guards out in Nick Fairley and Adam Kung Su. You've got Jason Jones, who's looked pretty good. Uh, in the off season, uh, at defensive end to test out Phil Lodehole. you know. So you've got you've got players that that are interesting. You know, the, the Lions are always drafting new cornerbacks, and I guess this time they have Darius Slay. I don't know. Maybe he'll work out. The Lions seem to have a really bad eye for talent there. But uh, you know, you'll you'll probably get their best. I think Louis Demo- uh, Louis Delmas is going to be back, and he's a really good player. Um, so. It'll be it'll be really fun to watch, and also football is finally back. What are the odds that uh, the the Lions' defense ends up putting up, you know, 150 to 200 yards of penalties? Um, you know what? I, I think that I think that that's a coaching culture issue uh, because the Oakland Raiders, and maybe it's maybe it's a tr- it even might even trickle down from the owner. Who knows? The Oakland Raiders almost always led the league in, in penalties, and then well, this is going to sound really harsh now that I think about it. Uh, Al Davis died. <laughs> um, oh well, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I'm not. I'm not gonna say that like, hooray, L. Davis is dead, because actually it's a tragedy, and he he's been enormously great for the league. Although maybe he shouldn't be owning a football team anymore. Um, but 
you know, after you know, after you know, Reggie McKenzie, the new GM. Uh, I think this is part of the reason they fired a, a successful coach in Hugh Jackson, um, because you know, otherwise the firing doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, is to establish a new team culture, and they they turned it around. A lot of times when you see a lot of really heavily penalized teams, teams that have been penalized for years, switch coaching staffs or maybe even entire front offices, uh, you see them turn it around. So I think that there's a good chance they'll put up a lot of penalty yards. 150 is a bit on the wild side, but I'm not going to call it irresponsibly wild because it's the Lions, and I believe both Nick Fairlane and Dominic Su like to kick people in the nuts, and that has to be at least 15 yards. <laughs> But not suspension worthy, as was proven last year. Yeah, well, yeah. But to be fair, Jared Allen kicked Ray Edwards in the nuts and got no suspension either. So if we get that, maybe they get that. Maybe. 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 To be fair, Jared Allen warned Ray Edwards beforehand not to violate sort of the ethics of special teams play and bowl over long snappers because Jared Allen was the backup long snapper. Uh, Because bowling over the long snapper, A, increases the chance of injury for a long snapper, B, does nothing to help you block the kick, uh, and C, is a really dick move. So he uh, decided to bowl over Jared Allen. Jared Allen kicked him. So it's a a little bit different because A, Ray Edwards is expecting it, and B, Ray Edwards started off by being a bit of a dick. Um, but I don't really think that the NFL should be changing their suspension policy based on the, those sort of context clues. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, I think the defense is gonna. I, I think the defense is gonna play undisciplined. That's what they do. They're the Lions. They have Schwartz. Like that's gonna happen. Um, Jim Schwartz is a really bad coach. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that uh, the defensive scheme is gonna be a little bit different than we've seen in previous years because of. I want to say the public outcry uh, against the wide nine uh, because I don't think coaches make as many decisions as we like to think um, based on sort of what the public wants, although I still think they make too many of them um, that way. But I do think that they've sort of realized the growing ineffectiveness of, of a scheme that is specifically designed to encourage runs uh, you know, between the guard and the tackle or between the tackle and the tight end. Um, when your linebackers aren't as good as you'd hope they were. Uh, I mean, the wide nine scheme worked really well for them two years ago when their linebacker core was great. And uh, to be fair, their linebacker core is, I don't think it's all the same people. I mean, they still have Stephen Tullock, um, but it's older and it's not as good. And it, it can't get as many things done, so the wide nine scheme is not going to be as useful because it relies on those linebackers to do well. It's a defense uh, that is designed to put pressure on the quarterback uh, to force you to make mad decisions and allow their secondary uh, to uh, you know to, to make plays on the ball. Uh, they play a bunch of off-man coverage, which makes it a little bit difficult for the secondary to make those plays, but it's designed entirely to make sure that quarterbacks take a longer time to make those decisions so that uh, the defensive ends, who are lined up wider than defensive ends in other 4-3 schemes, uh, have the ability to get to the quarterback in enough time to get the sack. Uh, so it is it is more difficult to throw in, in off-man coverage unless you want to dink and dunk, which is what the Lions want you to do because then they'll hit your receivers with linebackers. The problem, of course, is that they don't have a very good secondary, so they can't really do that as much as they'd like to. But that's what they do, um, and the Vikings passing game is designed almost specifically for the Lions because off-man coverage is exactly the sort of thing 
that you attack by using the Bill Musgrave concepts of these short passes with a bunch of curl routes designed to take uh, you know advantage of non-traditional landmarks and all that. Um, so we'll probably see that sort of thing from the Lions defensively. Uh, people will talk about how difficult it is to run up the middle, uh, but and no one really cares when you have Adrian Peterson. It is going to be a little bit more difficult without Jerome Felton uh, because he had a noticeable and appreciable effect on the running game and was a big part of Adrian Peterson's success. Um, but, you know, we get to see how Zach Line does uh, against against some really good linebackers and potentially against some really good defensive tackles. Uh, Adrian Peterson is probably going to bounce a little bit more, uh, a few more runs to the outside than he did last year because not really worried about his knee this time. Um, so I'd like to see him take advantage of the gaps between the defensive tackle and the defense vent. That will be fun. I'm looking forward to this. I think this is going to be fantastic. I think that we will probably end up with a W on this one. Uh, we did have a question related to the game, mm-hmm. which is, do you see any uh, especially glaring deficiencies in Detroit's game that can be taken advantage of on the, on uh, on Sunday? Uh, so I didn't do uh, preseason scouting on Detroit because I, you know, I've seen them a lot and they haven't had a lot of turnover. The only change they made is to is to add Reggie Bush, um, and you know I, I can talk about him, uh, but I'll do that later. Uh, the glaring deficiencies I think are all related to how the team is built versus the scheme that they have, uh, which, like I said, requires a better secondary than they have. Um, so I think the the glaring deficiency is they give up exactly the kind of passes that Christian Ponder is good at making. Um, I think that they allow more runs to the outside uh, than they may have wanted to. I did a I did a study on the wide nine defense. Um, I shouldn't even say did a study because it took me like you know uh, an hour or two. So I looked into the wide nine defense for an article I wrote, and it it looks like they are much more likely to give up the run on one side or the other, and teams will learn which side it is and exploit it. Um, I think it'll be more difficult for Adrian Peterson to have those explosive runs that he had last year, because I think we'll actually see counterintuitively fewer men in the box, because when you put men in the box to stop the run, you're trying to turn a five- or six-yard run into a four- or three-yard run. But it's Adrian Peterson. He's going to get those five yards regardless of how many men you put in the box. So the only question is whether or not you prevent an explosive play. So they're going to keep a safety back so that they have somebody to deal with Adrian Peterson. So I think we'll see fewer of those this year. And I think the Lions game will be the first example of that where they try to find ways to deal with the fact that they can't really stop the run in the short game, but they have to stop these long runs, which you know, are, are not only impressive, but you know, change the nature of the game. Uh, so the glowing deficiency, pass defense, uh, they're going to make up for the run defense uh, that they've had in previous years. Any, uh, any before we get into wildly irresponsible prognostications, uh, any thoughts on uh, on a final score or uh, or real big predictions on the game? Oh gosh, um, so I don't know. I don't think the Detroit got rid of their special teams coordinator, and they they should have. Um, but he, he might be one of the worst, if not the worst, uh, special teams coordinators in the league. So that's going to boost the score more than just simply looking at the offense versus the defense. Detroit wants to turn it into a high-scoring game. The Vikings have the ability to, to make some waves in special teams. I say one special teams touchdown, uh, so that's like seven points. Um, let's throw in two Adrian Peterson touchdowns and... Uh, no, one Adrian Peterson touchdown, one Kyle Rudolph touchdown. So I'm going to say 27 
points, so two field goals, from the Vikings, 20 points from the Lions. 27 to 20. I'm going to go a little bit further. I think that we're going to end up uh, getting a little more involved in the kicking game. I think we're going to end up with uh, closer to 30 for the Vikings and uh, 17 for uh, for the Lions. 17? I think, I think penalties are going to be a big factor in the game. I think their defense is going to be moving our offense around the field if we catch my drift. Mm. I think offensive pass interference, and I think uh, inappropriateness at the line. <laughs> if that's <laughs> a, uh, in Roger Goodell's America, that would be like that would be like a murderous offense. Like you could yeah. you could go to jail forever for inappropriate uh, conduct at the line. But no, I, th- I think that uh, I think that just the culture in Detroit is going to haunt them this year. Oh, fair enough. Uh, both fairly rosy predictions, I suppose from uh, two well-known Viking cynics. Well, exactly. I, I am wearing my new Vikings hat, so I'm just I'm trying to be as positive as possible about this and you know, make this hat worth half a damn, maybe. <laughs> so I don't have to, so when I'm getting my steak at the, uh, at the grocery store, the people aren't uh, looking and going, oh, that, that's too bad. <laughs> that's all I'm looking for little bit of positivity when I'm trying to buy my steak. I suppose we could all we could all use that. I suppose if the Vikings win, we can thank your hat. Let's get, sure. Why not? Uh, let's get into wildly irresponsible prognostications. My favorite part of the show, mm-hmm. and uh, we do have one from a listener. Uh, a listener by the name of Kyle said that uh, Alshon Jeffrey of the Bears is going to score more touchdowns than Brandon Marshall. See, this is exactly, this is so ludicrously wild that I love it. Um, yeah, um, so there are a couple of ways that this could come about, the most obvious of which is an injury to Brandon Marshall. Um, but I, I want to think about this in terms of ways we could justify this that have nothing to do with an injury to, to Brandon Marshall, which is honestly the only reasonable way this could happen. Now, this is Kyle uh, Siegel with, with the Daily Norseman, so he was able to submit one um, uh, just you know through Twitter. Um, but the thing I like about it uh, is that there are ways uh, to, you know, just, just these awful, stupid ways uh, to justify it. So the first is that Brandon Marshall had more opportunity-adjusted touchdowns than you would expect of a player with the number of targets that he had in the red zone. He caught an unusual number of touchdowns, even though he caught like a ton of passes anyway, right? Because he had a, he had 181 targets, um, you know, in the league. Um, so he should have had uh, fewer touchdowns than he had an opportunity for. The second is that the addition of Martellus Bennett is going to give them uh, a receiving option that's going to leak touchdowns away uh, from from Brandon Marshall. Uh, Martellus Bennett is both good at running, uh, run blocking, and and receiving. And so maybe the the Bears will try to use Michael Bushmore at the line of scrimmage or at the at the goal line, punch more touchdowns in than they did last year as well. The final reason this could be true is because of Mark Trestman's crazy spread ideas from the CFL and also the NFL and also college um, will allow him to spread the ball around a little bit more. And Alshon Jeffrey is a possession receiver that allows. You know Jay Cutler to go through his reads 
if he has time, uh, and and get it to sort of the intermediate route, uh, which not only moves the chains, it keeps that player on the field for a little bit longer because they're more reliable. Uh, I don't know. I don't really know what the Bears are going to do with two possession receivers, but whatever. Um, but it allows them to uh, it allows them to get those intermediate touchdowns that you know are are sort of random in terms of who gets them. So that that'll allow Sean Jeffrey to get potentially more touchdowns. But for the record, if I had 101 odds to Vegas on this one, yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't waste. Not not a not a chance in hell. No, yeah. not a. Not even a second look at that yeah. one. <laughs> the, uh, I thought it was kind of funny, and as as I was looking at fantasy stuff, I actually looked into him quite a bit. And the more I looked, I just went, I just can't see anybody other than the uh, other than the tight end for Chicago catching touchdown catches or catching touchdown balls. Like I, I, I can't. Like it's going to be him, and it's going to be Forte and Michael Bush in the red zone. And uh, and Brandon Marshall, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, Marshall had, what, like 11 touchdowns last year? Yeah, it was ridiculous. Yeah. For those of us who had the foresight of uh, of ignoring the experts <laughs> and actually grabbing him early last year, uh, not to injure myself or a reef uh, by patting us on the back, of the, uh, on the back but we, we did well. It was, it was... should have been more obvious than it was, I suppose, but yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know... Crazy irresponsible, but you know that's that's the sort of thing we love around here. So I believe you have a wildly irresponsible prognostication as well. Yeah, it's about the game. Uh, Reggie Bush will have more yards from scrimmage than Adrian Peterson, but like I said, the Vikings will still win the game. Uh, and and the reason this is true uh, is because uh, Detroit's going to try and keep a fast-paced game. They're going to try to run up the score, and I don't know how well they're going to do it. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Vikings didn't start with a lead. Um, and therefore, they don't rely on Adrian Peterson as much as they normally do. Uh, and Reggie Bush is a really dangerous space player that is perfect for uh, what the personnel around him can do. Uh, because Matt Stafford throws some really weird footballs, but he does get it to his players. And Reggie Bush has a surprising catch radius for uh, a running back. He knows how to find space. He knows how to, you know, he knows how to make people miss. Maybe we'll see Marvin Mitchell's last game after Reggie Bush might embarrass him. Um, but he knows how to take advantage of the space created by players like Calvin Johnson and Ryan Broyles. Uh, and then, of course, you've also got, you know, his ability to run. I think that the fact that he is better than Mikel LaShore at just purely running the ball even between the tackles uh, I think mean means that the Lions are going to audible to uh, to the run a little bit more than they did before. Uh, to that point I made about the Vikings being in nickel packages more often with the Lions, but only 40% overall, it's actually not true. The Vikings were only in 15 of 71 snaps in nickel uh, in week four against the Lions last year. Uh, so uh, we might see Reggie Bush being used to take advantage of matchups against linebackers like Chad Greenway. And uh, and Marvin Mitchell. I'd like to throw out mine, and I was kind of alluding to it during the uh, during the Lions uh, portion of the uh, of the podcast. But I'm thinking that between a hundred and a hundred and fifty and a hundred and seventy five penalty yards for the Lions defense. So not just is, the Lions, uh, the Lions defense. Just the Lions defense. Not talking offense. We're just talking Lions defense. 
They get 175 or 150 to 175 yards of uh, penalties from them. Do do punts count? Punts do not count. Okay. Uh, I mean, yeah. You, I deserve to buy you something if you like a steak. <laughs> if that happens, because that's unlikely to. Uh, um, like I said, eh, pretty wild. But like you know, if it's any team, it's gonna be the Lions because the Oakland Raiders don't do that crap anymore. Yep, sure don't. The uh, the other thing I'd like to predict for uh, for a wildly irresponsible prognostication, and I don't know how irresponsible this particular prognostication is, but uh, I'm guessing that two of the top 25 fantasy players will be going down in injury within the first half of, uh, of Sunday's games. You know, I don't think that that's... I think that that counts. I think that that's wild enough. Uh, we only remember sort of the big ones, right? We remember Tom Brady going down in 2008 when he had an even better uh, offense around him than that historic 2007 season. On a fluke play. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Bernard Pollard, I don't know how much of a fluke he is. Well, yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> it, it, that set the chain. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the initiate. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we remember these sorts of things as they happen. But, you know, remember the opposite happened with Michael Vick, too. You know, no one was really, like, super excited about drafting Kevin Cobb. He goes down, Michael Vick uh, takes his place. And demolishes the Packers. Uh, I believe he scored 37 fantasy points for exactly nobody that day. <laughs> um, but you know, sort of the opposite thing does happen too. I'm going to say that that is that is also unlikely, but not as weird as the 175 penalty yards. So you said 150 to 175. Does that mean if they have 176 that you're wrong again? All right. That would mean that I'm uh, wrong so, again. Yeah. Okay. So so once they hit. You know, 150. I'm. I mean, I guess I'm always cheering for them to get penalties, but I'll have a particular incentive for for them to generate 25 more yards. I mean, I'm coming down to the cities at the end of September, and I am planning on going to a ridiculously expensive steakhouse. So I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> I never said I'd buy you a ridiculously expensive steak. I said a steak. Oh, oh, oh! That's that's a crap. steak. Such crap. That that that's just. I'm sorry, that's just too vague. I think after the <laughs> after the Green Bay San, uh, the Green Bay Seattle uh, injury prognostication that turned out to be true, oh, I think that if I that parlay this, just throwing that out. There. Well, okay, you said you said what, like late September, right? Yeah. So you need to get you need if you need to get maybe not this one necessarily. You need to get two more, <laughs> and then and we'll we'll talk about this ridiculously expensive steak. The uh, it, was, it was just too bad too because I'm going to be in town and I was all excited because I was like, hey, and, and it looks like the Viking the Vikings are playing a home game. This is going to be awesome, right? This is going to be totally great. I can go to what I want to. I want. I can go to a concert. I can waste a day just wandering around for for a Saturday. Then I can go to the Vikings game at the Dome. It'll be fantastic. And it's the London game, so crap. <laughs> <laughs> Like that, that just uh, that just does it right there. Like, yeah, yeah. Thanks, NFL. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, Ziggy Wilf. Right? We yeah. Agree thanks, to thanks, Ziggy. This is uh, not that I bear any ill will towards Ziggy Wilf, but oh, come on, man. That that game against the Steelers, first off, is is going to be a good game. Oh yeah. But 
for for whatever reason we we play really hard against the Steelers. Like it's whether or not we can truck them anymore is is kind of beyond is, is past the point. But the uh, the game I was I was really looking forward to, and we we were all the, the group of us was all really excited to go, and they're like, oh. So we're watching this from Hubert's in downtown or something like <laughs> crap. That sucks. Oh well. Yeah. But uh, we are hoping, we are hopeful that uh, Dusty's laptop will again get a will get a recovery out of this. Uh, I do believe that he is now the third stringer behind Ryan Mallet in uh, in, New, in New England now. I think he he replaced some guy named Tebus. I, I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I, I had worries. I had worries about his throwing so motion. How confident are we that about his laptop's throwing motion? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so is he more of a is the laptop more of a running quarterback or how does that work out? He's part of the new breed. Oh, he's part of the new so breed. He's both. And, and and true to form as far as the as far as the uh, as far as the Pats are concerned, and they're not like caring about who they're drafting or who they're signing. Because if you paid attention to the last couple shows here, the the, the, the exploits of this particular laptop are just legendary. And he's an enemy to democracy. I, exactly, and they decided to keep him instead of Tebow. So I mean. So at this point, it seems more like, especially for people who haven't listened to the first couple of episodes, it's, it definitely seems more like Dusty is a myth. <laughs> then, like, how can we assure people that Dusty is real and, in fact, technically the regular host of the show, despite hosting fewer episodes than you have? <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I, I really, really don't know. <sighs> so I haven't, I haven't actually talked to Dusty in a couple of days. Did you kill him? I, I didn't kill him at all. Actually, I was talking to him before, we, uh, before you and I went on the air here. Yeah, I have your word for it. <laughs> also true yeah <laughs> i have no i have no immediate plans to fly to denver and take him out <laughs> so there's that i uh, i mean great and, and, and on that bombshell <laughs> that is uh that is going to be it for us uh, at norse code this week uh, you want to uh, you want to give them the information on how they can get a hold of us for wildly irresponsible prognostications? Yes, we love the wildly irresponsible prognostications. We uh, love the questions a lot too. Um, so if you can, please send us uh, you know some form of contact through email, uh, through Twitter, or in the comment section of the Daily Norseman uh, post that this will be on. Um, you can also comment actually directly on the SoundCloud uh, file that this will be posted on too. Um, so the email address that you should email us at uh, is norsecodepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't want to do that, you can email us at my email address, which is Arif M. Hassan. That's A-R-I-F as in Frank, M as in Mark, H-A-S as in Sally, A-N as in Nancy, because I have to spell my name like that uh, over the phone all the time, at gmail.com. Uh, or uh, hook up with us on Twitter. You can ask, uh, you know... I think it's at Norse Code DN or uh, at Arif Hassan DN. Um, either of those will work. You can ask me questions through there or send your wildly irresponsible prognostications. Um, or, like I said, leave a comment in the comment section. Yeah, we love to see him. We love to, uh, we both have accounts there. Obviously, you do because you make, a, you actually post articles, but I, I do also uh, come in and comment as well. So, 
you have uh, questions, we're happy to uh, happy to get them on the air. Uh, otherwise, I think that's it for uh, for this week. I think we we went overdrive on the on the on the whole podcast thing this week. Yeah, this was a particularly a, long one. We uh, we did quite a bit of work here and tried to give you as much information and try to be as positive about Christian Ponder as we could by not and talking about him. By not talking about him for more than ten seconds. <laughs> You can tell our positivity in the absence. It's fantastic. Yeah, this is such a great Vikings team. Look at all of these players that aren't the quarterback that are really good. For Arif, I am James. Uh, hope to see you next week. And uh, Skull Vikings. North Code is the official podcast of the Daily Norseman SB Nation blog and is produced with cooperation from Pompous Jerk Productions. Pompous Jerk Productions. Attitude with Attitude. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of their contributors and do not reflect official positions of the Minnesota Vikings, SB Nation, the Daily Norseman staff, or PJP. No information in this podcast should be construed as gambling advice. Please obey all local gaming laws. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth.